You know, we're pretty geeky over here at the KingCast, and as such, we are huge collectors of pop culture memorabilia, and that's why we need to tell you all about the creations made by Scape's action figure displays on Etsy. The shop has a major selection of movie and action figure accessories, from damaged skulls to light up kryptonite, from Pennywise to the Terminator, from Batman to Bane. You have to see for yourself what this shop has to offer. Essentially what these things are, Scott, is they're like little standees for your toys. So, you know, sometimes you get those toys and you just open them up and you play with them because that's what good people do with toys. You don't keep them in their packaging. That's Uh for monsters. If I learned anything from the Toy Story films, I've learned that. Uh, And so sometimes they're just boring. They're just standing around on your counter. And what these folks do is they make essentially like little homes for your your nerdy toys. Do you have a Batman or a Superman action figure? Are they just packed away in a storage container or kicked under the bed by a child? Don't do that to Batman. Secure his fate as the overseer of justice with the Batman rooftop action figure display. Do you have a copy of The Shining all alone on the shelf? Add the red rum door. That's what I have. It looks really badass in person. The Pennywise in the sewer is also nothing to chuckle at. See all these items and more, including costumes and digital art at Etsy.com slash shop slash scapes figures. Or you can search for action figure displays on Etsy, your number one place for customer-made items. Well done, Eric. And as always, I am here to tell you about uh, our benevolent corporate overlords at Fangoria. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years, and they are better than ever. Each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horror's past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. So head on over to Fangoria.com to learn more and to subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST to save 25% off your annual subscription now let's get on with that show yes hi my name is stephen king the ice is gonna break Well, sometimes that is better. Hello, and welcome back to the Kingcast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. Folks, we're very excited to have today's guest with us on the show today. He's an award-winning filmmaker, not to mention the writer behind some of our all-time favorite things, including 2018's Mandy and the best episode of Guillermo del Toro's recent Cabinet of Curiosities series on Netflix, both co-written with the great Panos Cosmatos, uh, as well as Marvel's Thor Metal Gods. He is also, personally speaking, one of my favorite Twitter follows. Today, he's here to talk to us about Stephen King's 1983 short story, Word Processor of the Gods, which first appeared in Playboy magazine before finding its way into 1985's Skeleton Crew collection. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Aaron Stewart on. Aaron, how are you doing today? Uh, thanks for having me on. I don't get to hear the cool music and uh, is is it the laser beam noises and and King? Uh, yeah, the yeah. it's from, it's it's from the trailer post, for baby. it's the trailer for Maximum Overdrive. It right? is. 
Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah it, it went when little uh, peek behind the curtain when I was uh, pulling all the elements together for the intro, like in the early days when this was but a this this podcast was but a a, a little gleam in, in uh, uh, my and uh, Scott's eye. I knew that like no matter what, because no, I pulled audio clips from a bunch of Stephen King movies and I did various cuts, but I knew no matter what, the thing that had to be there was the opening uh, of that trailer where he goes, hi, my name's Stephen King. <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm just hi. like that. I just knew that that had to be. There was something instinctual about him. Like if we do a Stephen King podcast, having Stephen King's voice open it up. And I'm not technically savvy enough to like isolate his vocals from that. So I'm just like, we're just going to go with that. That sting, which is uh, from uh, <laughs> it's, it's season rad. of the witch, yeah, yeah, it's so yeah. awesome. And I got look. I'm here to talk about word processor of the gods, but I, I want to tell all your listeners who are into Stephen King: if you've never seen the trailer for Maximum Overdrive, <laughs> oh yes, I, I, yes. I, it, it's on YouTube. Go watch the trailer. It's just a, you know, it's the movie that Stephen King directed, uh, and it's the only movie I know of that has a score by ACDC, but, but he's in the trailer and, and it's mm-hmm. a beautiful moment. And so we actually did a whole bonus episode just on that trailer. <laughs> <laughs> I like, yeah, I we'll take, we'll take a lot. I mean, I wouldn't say we'll take any pitch on bonus episodes, <laughs> but we're way more lenient on like what will fill time than we are yeah. with, you know, something on the, on the main feed. And yeah, I think, uh, I think Todd Gilchrist came in and did that one with us and, that's beautiful. Was, I missed um, that episode. I need to check it out. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you. I think it's paywalled. I'll send you the audio or something if I can find okay. it. But um, anyway, yeah, we had yeah. fun with that for sure. Um, now, while I while I have you here, uh, you know, I've been waiting for many years now to to tell you. Not I, I prefer to be doing it to your face, but this is as close as I can get right now. That yeah. Mandy is one of my all time favorite movies. Like, you're, holy you're shit! Kind. Did you yeah. knock that out of the park? You and you and Panos. Um, yeah. and I was so fucking excited when I heard that you guys were collaborating again for uh cabinet of curiosities and lo and behold, uh, that is quite clearly the winner of that entire season for me. I'm sure <laughs> you cannot agree to that. Yeah. But... There's no way I could take that, but, but, uh, I appreciate hearing that. And, and yeah, I, I don't think it's probably not true. Jennifer Kent's an amazing filmmaker. Um, but, and we lose all perspective when we work on these things. Right. Uh, but it was a joy to make, uh, you know, uh, in, in in the pandemic um, w- in a Netflix studio that had like biohazard signs with the Netflix logo <laughs> on the door. It felt it felt very appropriate to making a, a little slice of horror. Yeah. Wow. And those sets like you really built those sets, right? Oh, yeah. yeah you personally a, really built. Those yeah. Sets. No, no, no. <laughs> Let's not take away. I, I got to say it's like. Tamara Deverell was the production designer of the whole series. Uh, I don't know how she did all eight episodes. She's such a genius. She the she same production, production designed, designer in every episode. That's yeah, fucking and, incredible. And she production designed uh, Nightmare Alley, which I mean, look look at that. Sure, you know, it's like she's she's so gifted. Uh, and just walking in that set, it, it felt like a very bizarro art installation. It, it was, it was, it was hmm. insane. I, I loved it so much. And I just have to give her such a huge shout out. I'm, I'm like an obsessive fan of Tamara Devil, Deverell's production design. <laughs> Man, I'm impressed. Like I thought for sure, I didn't, I didn't look it up, um, but I thought for sure, Oh, that must be the same production designer that Panos has always worked with. Cause this is so specifically a, it has the exact look of right. a Panos thing. You know when you're watching yeah. a Panos yeah. fucking, you know, film or or in this case, like, I guess it's a 
I don't know what you would would you call it a short film? What's the yeah, definition of a short segment? Film? Anthology mm-hmm. segment? Yeah, that's probably more appropriate. And which, anyway, you know, word processor of the gods is adapted for Tales of the Dark Side, which you know was mm-hmm. a basically a TV anthology that came out of uh, Romero making Creep Show, um, mm-hmm. and and we used to you know Tales from the Crypt. Uh, we used to have a lot of these series, and I, I think it's a beautiful format. And some people have tried in the past few years, but just Guillermo's producing instincts, uh, his ability to creatively protect and empower people, and also it's like one of the reasons we got to work with somebody who's such a great production designer. It's just this incredible uh, fortress of, of crew that Guillermo's created in, in, in this part of Canada, you know, around Toronto that he's been working in for, for many years, I think back to Crimson Peak, um, you know, they, it's just a very formidable, talented group of people in every discipline in filmmaking um, that, that he's, he's assembled there. And he just basically gave us that, incredible you know resource and toy box to go play with and, and, and make something not as long as a feature just under but but it's also a beautiful exercise like features yeah. are getting longs these days it's, it's fun to you know mm-hmm. have a like sharp jagged little piece of candy to chew on and, and it dissolves in your mouth that's the way i think of it. <laughs> i prefer yeah. it i'm getting tired of these long run times i gotta tell you <laughs> yeah. i know it's, it's a stupid complaint because a movie is as long as it needs to be but 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 Boy, do they howdy, really? man. I, I mean, I have seen some shit in the last year or two. I'm like, it didn't. It absolutely did not. Like if you if if you say this movie is too long, you need to follow that up with, and here's what could have been removed without <laughs> right. fucking it up, right? You yeah, know, you yeah, make yeah. that accusation willy nilly. And on some of these, I could absolutely tell you, well, just lose that plot line. You don't need that. Yeah. Or yeah. Lose. I, I don't understand. It it feels like excess to me. And I'm not sure that it's helping anything. It certainly isn't helping. No, it's not. I, I feel horrible because I should be on the artist side, but I, 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 my time is limited these days. And I go to right. watch something, and I see the before I click, you know, buy to watch it. I see two hours thirty eight minutes. And I'm like, no, can't handle it. It's, it's like you know, it's one a.m. already. I just finished work. I don't, <laughs> I don't even have time to watch this movie. Yeah, yeah, which is sad. But it, it has become like a de facto standard and editing's funny it's like you know there's amazing stuff that was cut out of uh mandy and and the viewing because we had so many comedic actors you know like eric andre steve agee and charlie playing off of each other and and weller there's you know amazing stuff that that got left on the cutting room no i bet uh but you have to be merciless and you have to make a shape that works, you know, at, at, yeah. at some point. Yeah. It should be mentioned that uh, Steve Agee's a, a, uh, a friend of the show, a friend of the podcast. Yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. And a friend of mine in real life. I, I love that Steve. He's been in short films that I've written. I mean, that dude's, that dude's great. And I've also noticed that uh, the longer, you know, Steve, the more you realize that he knows like legitimately everybody, uh, <laughs> yes, <that's ever>. he does. <laughs> it's like it, anybody could be like oh man you know president bill clinton he goes oh yeah no i don't know bill or you know he, he, that's not a a, a direct example but uh but it, it could, could be, be just the most it random I, I wouldn't put it past steve steve to, he would to have clinton. a beautiful photograph he took on one of his cameras but steve gave yes. most people i mean what is it uh sarah silverman's show but also uh <laughs> uh peacemaker yeah yeah no yeah. that's that's yeah. where he's Di- really dye beard yeah. yeah and peacemaker 
Yep. Yeah, there, yeah there, no. there's there's stuff in the viewing him uh, just riffing on lines. I mean, Panos and I were laughing so hard we thought we'd ruined the takes. Like you know, we were we were in tears just to the, the way he would say certain things. He's he's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, my ringtone on my phone is actually Steve's voice uh, <laughs> because we're video game friends and we play a game called Destiny together uh, a lot. And uh, wait, okay, he mentioned he mentioned that he knows uh, you dudes, uh, but he never told me he plays Destiny with you. That's rad. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're old video game buddies, and so we'll we'll go and be playing. And and uh, there's <laughs> this is getting really nerdy, but like you know, Destiny, you're like this immortal space like warrior guy and you're going around and killing killing a bunch of random aliens on different planets and so there's one on uh there's one race of bad guys uh that are very insectile and uh the thrall that that, that'll that'll come come at you and like for whatever reason because it's it's spooky vibes he will put on a vincent price voice whenever we're playing (laughs) he he will narrate what's going on you know as we're playing and so and i like that's the funniest thing in the world and i said you have to do a vincent price uh, voice thing so for for me for my uh, for my phone and he did and so it's Wait, like, hold on i'll call you so we can hear it oh hold on let me turn on the this okay. is amazing see this is what uh, i knew it was there. like playing you, right, you get on. free comedy sure commentary from a genius uh-huh. as you're playing destiny all right you ready yeah yeah <laughs> eric vespi answer <laughs> your telephone <laughs> Someone is reaching out to you from the dark beyond. <laughs> that's great. Uh, we love you, Steve. Oh my yeah. god, yeah. that's amazing. Little Steve cameo for the show. Our, uh, so you and uh, Panos, when are you getting to work on your next thing? That's my number one question. You know, okay, no, he's off making a, a, a movie with A twenty four called Necrocosm. Uh, I can't oh, say right. anything about it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I are am, you involved not- at all? Uh, no, I, I, I'm not uh, part of the writing process. Uh, I, I, I went to work on some other stuff uh, that I can't talk about yet. Um, right on. Uh, but, but a good friend of ours, a mutual friend, Megan Huang, she's she's writing it with Panos, uh, and um, it's gonna be fucking mind blowing. I, I, I just, yeah, <laughs> that's that's all I can say. Mm. Panos and I have well, always kept things very secret, but I, I was, I, I told Scott, you know. It's been a few years since Mandy. We're, we're, I'm willing to drop the veil of mystery and talk about uh, our friendship and process a little bit today on on the mm. podcast, happily. Um, but uh, I may go. I may go to the set when they shoot and and hang out. I'll just be a jackass of all trades who helps uh, uh, my friend get through it, which you know has yeah. become part of our process. Yeah, and take lots of pictures and post them directly to your social media feed. Where <laughs> I can look upon them. <laughs> no, I'm I'm really like we we are so. We, we pride ourselves that you know nothing from Mandy leaked before that movie came out. Yeah, like we're, we're we're very much into you know don't show the sets before your thing uh, uh, is shown to, to to an audience because that, like the the fact that nobody saw the Cheddar Goblin that it was a surprise uh, still <laughs> still makes me so happy. Yeah, I was at the <laughs> premiere at Sundance and I I, I saw that. Yeah, when it, you were when there at the midnight the show. Time. Yeah. At the library oh, theater, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Yep. Nick and, Cage uh, was and there. When that hit, there was nothing. Because the, the, for whatever reason, the library at Sundance is where they show 
the the weird midnight movies it's like yeah. there's the you know there's the oh, fuck what's the one called it's the egyptian theater downtown where it's like that's where hereditary plays all right right and then right. like the libraries where i saw like the vhs's <laughs> it's where i saw yeah um what's uh, enter the void you know and that kind of stuff and so <laughs> right. i always associate the library theater with walkouts um because <laughs> right. it's, it's because you, people have to remember like a third of the crowd at, at sundance are like just very rich old white people that want to be like in a, in a scene and like pretend to like the art of cinema or whatever. Oh, so God, when you yeah. go to something like and enter the void, which I'm uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm hot and cold on Gaspar Noé and I didn't really like enter the void. And that's another one that was like a 18 hour feeling movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But the, at a certain point, my entertainment came from counting the walkouts and it was in, it was in the twenties <laughs> or thirties by the time the movie ended. Uh, I, there weren't, I don't remember walkouts in Mandy, but I do remember the audience going absolutely apeshit whenever the cheddar goblin stuff happened and like came <laughs> yeah. up and it was just like what the f-? because i mean at that point you're already like what the fuck am i watching and and you're into it obviously but then when that that like i don't know it's like getting a a, a cold water dumped on you right at the perfect point when you're just like finally settling into whatever this weird story is you guys are telling and, it, and <laughs> I, yeah i don't know i just I'll, that that is a very pleasant and happy sundance memory for me well, this, my, that my, my, my my favorite Mandy story was like uh, when it, when it showed at can. I mean, first of all, we were like, we got into can. What the fuck? Like uh-huh. you know, like a movie with a chainsaw fight. But then like Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre premiered there. Yeah, and we were and we were in the director's fortnight. And we didn't know this. Like you you hear when about can like you have to wear a tuxedo. The dress code is very yeah. harsh. Um, and and like they'll even check your socks and your shoes. Like um, yeah. And it Holy turns out shit. that's true. That That is true if you're going into the Grand Palais. And there's even been some fights around it the past few years because they've forced women to wearing horrible shoes that are painful and like women who are yeah. pregnant who are attending and things like that. Um, but there are these 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 fashion police, straight up fascist mm-hmm. fashion police who who check you going in to the main, the the Grand Palais, like, you know, the, the big, big theater at Cannes. Yeah. We were in the director's fortnight, which we didn't know because we're such fucking dorks uh <laughs> is is edgy and cool and has this like mm-hmm. amazing history i mean it, it was born out of like godard stopping the 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 like uh the the entire festival in 68 as a political protest um mm. and and so and funnily enough gasper no was showing climax and you know uh before uh, mandy <laughs> And Gasper was not wearing a tuxedo and he gets on stage and he's got the dance crew from Climax with them, like, you know, like listening to banging music and they're all dancing on stage. One of them's wearing chain mail bikini and we're like, oh shit, and we're in our tuxes. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and we just felt like you know uh uh, uh like the, the guys in Step Brothers, like we're such dorks because because it turned out that actually you don't have to wear a tuxedo at all to the director's fortnight and in fact it's a very dorky thing you're supposed to be a cool director who's wearing like you know a, a moebius t-shirt or something mm-hmm. um so we went out on stage in our tuxes feeling horribly awkward and then like you know uh full of nerves and and panos you know he's given the mic and he says, and he's talked about this openly in interviews. Look, that is a very personal movie that, that came out of him dealing with, you know, grief over the death of his parents. Uh, and he, he, he said to the audience, again, this is a, a movie about the death of my parents. And then there's like this 
pause and stillness as everyone in the audience absorbs it and it's translated into French. And, and the panel says, I also think it's a lot of fun. And then like, <laughs> <laughs> like the awkwardness it ripples even further as people don't even know how to react. But I think that perfectly encapsulates Mandy. It's, it's a very personal movie about grief. That's also a lot of fun. Um, and I, and not to be over analytical about it, but I think the cheddar goblin thing was very much about, you know, when you are in grief, uh, like sometimes life just blindsides you with, uh, absurdity, you know, yeah. when, when you're in the strangest state of mind, uh, and that's what we were trying to put in that moment. And, and I, I think it works beautifully as an yeah. expression of that. Yeah. It absolutely does. For sure. It does. Yeah. Well, we look forward to all of your continued collaborations and i'm 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 hoping there will be many more to come because you, there's a there's you a lot we'd love so to far. do we've been we've been trying to do uh but yeah we, we will keep including the we, cheddar goblin saturday morning cartoon it's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be, in the style be awesome? of the to- toxic avenger cartoon that we uh, for some fucking reason got in the 90s right. so, <laughs> that, was a, that was a weird stretch that <laughs> yeah but uh we are here today to talk about word processor of the gods. So let's um, mm. yeah. let's let's uh, start up with the Stephen King business. Uh, yeah. Aaron, what is your your Stephen King origin story? This is hard to get into because I can't dial into a specific memory because he was so present in my youth and my consciousness coming of age that uh, mm-hmm. it's inseparable from my childhood memories. I mean, it's like it's hard for me in some ways to you know a lot of specifics about his work are blended into just my memories of my childhood in a very inseparable way. And, you know, you can see very deliberately, you know, I don't think Mandy or the viewing exists without Stephen King on some level. It's like the paperback novel in Mandy secret of the, the serpent's eye. It's like the typeface and, and the spine. I mean, you know, the reference was Stephen King's paperbacks in the eighties. Um, I, I do have yeah. like a really distinct memory you know, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, um, which I remind people is like, you know, it was like the 48th state to join the United States. And and, and the, I grew up like 30 minutes from where Twin Peaks was filmed, the pilot. Oh, um, no shit. I've been very, up there. Very, yeah. It's like very primeval, you know, forest and woods full of yeah. strange people who kind of moved to this desolate corner of the Northwest of the U.S. escaping the draft or, you know, they had... Uh, or they wanted to secede from the federal government, like just freaks in the woods, you know, which I think Mandy is very much reflects that it's like Panos grew up an hour over the Canadian border in the, in the same kind of territory. Um, and, and there was something about King's writing that just, uh, it, it was like the first writing I came across that, you know, evoked like this weird sense in the eighties growing up in America hmm. that, that there was something dark, you know, like underneath like the soil and, and in, mm-hmm. in, the, in the trees and, and, and in the mist, you know, and, and, and it reflected that. I do have a particular memory of, of stand by me, the movie, which, you know, was, was, was a huge movie at the time. I don't think people remember that, but my dad took me to see it as a kid and it was a really important movie for him. And it was the first time I actually, in my life, I, I had a recognition of nostalgia like he was, mm. he was reliving his childhood in the fifties watching that movie. Um, and I was a kid, I wasn't even as old as the kids in the movie. Um, but I was recognizing like this door opening to 
oh, you get older and you lose touch with your friends and this time passes by and you, you go through these rituals of coming of age. So yeah. King was always there. Um, and, and just, you know, like, like we were talking about the anthology TV shows, like the adaptations, he, he was floating around in so many mediums. Uh, it was just like soaking into my brain on so many fundamental levels. So especially you know, in that era, it was just like, you know, we we make mention of it sometimes, but it's like there there really was nothing like that at that time. It was I mean, to this day, you know, we have maybe J.K. Rowling, you know, before her her, uh, <laughs> her, her fall, uh, right. you know, but there there are just even like the like Stephanie Meyer, you know, any of the 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 you know, Susan Collins or whatever, like all these people, they'll have like one big thing and then they'll just kind of disappear. Right. Yeah. yeah. And King, it like was just pumping out non franchise things. It was just like, here's new story after new story after new story that became instantly part of pop culture. And the eighties was like the heyday of that. It might not even mm-hmm. be, you know, arguably his best decade <laughs> of output. You could, you could argue the seventies, you could argue, you know, yeah. whatever. But the, the thing is, is like, it was just, you couldn't escape him. He was, on your TV he had, you know, episodes on the, the new twilight zone or tales from the dark side or whatever. He had that there. He had American express commercials. He then in the movies, you know, there was two or three adaptations a year hitting, hitting screens. Yeah, and then yeah. the mini series, you know, stuff was, was starting in, in the late eighties, early nineties. I mean, not starting, I guess Salem's lot. You can count as a, as a mini series, but you know what I mean? Where it was just, he was, he had, he was transitioning from being popular in his field to just being a pop culture icon in that yeah, thing. And just, yeah. he was inescapable really in the eighties. And that's what I mean. You know, he, he became a fundamental part of my imagination in a way I can't separate certain specific works. Like, you know, when I read the dark tower, what, what is my childhood imagination? Cause it was also too, I think something happened to a lot of us in the eighties. We accessed adult material at way too young of an age. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, and and that was a big part of it. Like I said, I was watching Stand by Me, younger than the kids in it. You know, starting to recognize, oh, people change, um, and, and so there was that. But I also just, if I examine it from a really like literary critique point of view, uh, because I can get that pretentious, you know, I just uh, like like what you're pointing out. It's amazing that I don't think a horror writer has ever achieved what he's done. But beyond genre, which you know can be a disreputable uh, in the mainstream. I, I just I think he's like a figure like Mark Twain. You know, he just yeah. he embodied yes. he embodied something about uh uh the entire consciousness of, of the seventies and eighties in his writing and found a way, you know, there's this great, great Guillermo del Toro thing Guillermo said like thirty years ago, twenty years ago, that that hit me like a lightning bolt when I read it, where he, he said that, you know, we don't we don't use genre stories for escapism. We actually, their, their primary purpose is to interpret life. Uh, mm-hmm. and, I, and I felt the horror elements of, of King, you know, in every story, there's a, a feeling that, you know, the, the, the quaint American town and its ideals underneath it is some sort of corruption or, or violence that, that underpins everything. Uh, and so it just felt more honest to me than, than yeah. standard non-genre stuff. Um, and, and yeah, and he's just, you know, he's a character and, and just a great storyteller and, and can work in so many forms. Um, so, you know, yeah, he, he's, he's, he's a part of my imagination inseparably. Um, and, uh, just, you know, word processor of the gods. Look, it is a, a slider work, but there's some interesting stuff I can talk about it, but there's also an aspect of King. That I think that's really fundamental. I think 
so many writers learn to write through Stephen King. And, and oh, that's yeah. kind of what I want to use this as a door to talk about. Sure. Excellent. But before we get there, you mentioned having read the Dark Tower series, which is not something we can assume from all of our guests. That is still, right. despite, you know, despite everything, it's still like still kind of a corner of the Stephen King kingdom. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I just want to pick your brain about that for a little uh, for a minute. Like, first of all, what's your take on the Dark Tower? And secondly, what do you think about Flanagan mounting a series? Well, you know, I don't really want to speak on somebody. I, I'm just, uh, I, I'm glad that somebody who's so acquainted with King's work and has done it before uh, mm-hmm. is approaching it. I, I, it's such a, for, for me, you know, God, there's so much my work involves going into movie and TV studios and saying, hey, this is how you would approach this adaptation. Sure. Uh, that's, it, it's such a tricky one, you know, it's, it's, because it's it's the culmination of an entire universe. There's a meta aspect to it that has to do with King's life and all his work, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think you'd have to come up with a really beautiful way to 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 bring that in. Um, and, and, <laughs> I told him to cast Bill Hader. Boom, done. Yeah. Wow. That was, you know. Yeah. Um, Bill's amazing. Um, and so you know, I, I just I'm just really excited to to see finally that it's in the hands of somebody who we know cares about it so much uh, and isn't going to reduce it to, to something um, that it's not, you know, you know right what on. I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so what do you think about, you've read the series, well, you, I, I assume you're a fan. Yeah. And it's, I, I, that, that's one of those things again, where it's like, how do I even dis- begin to describe it? You know, it's like uh, the, 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 well, you were Blake just talking aspects. about, you were just talking about genre. And, yeah, you know, the yeah. purpose of genre. And I think that the one of the things that Dark Tower does so well and better than I think I've ever seen anyone else do it when attempting this. But it is a complete mishmash of genres, you know, from right. top to bottom. Yeah, like yeah. every book is its own flavor. And sometimes even within that bl- those books, you're getting different genre flavors. Right. It's like the ultimate genre blender. uh series to me totally and, yeah and i i'm i think it's his i think it's his masterpiece you know um people talk about what's king's best work and i don't think it's a single as much as i love the stand or it yeah or yeah. you know any of the major the shining you know um i think d- the dark tower is is his greatest work i think the right. stand will be the great american novel that he is he is remembered for Ah, interesting. I, I think, yeah, because I weirdly assume it's the Dark Tower, just in terms of literary ambition um, and, mm. like you said, the boundlessness of genre and uh, how it uh, surpasses genre to become, like I said, something even about his own life and all his work. Um, yeah, it's 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 a staggering work for, you know, any writer. Like, uh, sure. and, 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 and it's... it's I, I, I'm just of that weird particular variety where there's a part of me that needs a little bit of, you know, illegitimacy. Like I feel more comfortable in that space. And and I do like the genre keeps you from being, uh, you know, like, like snobbily appreciated. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, there, there, there's always, even when they talk about elevating horror, it's like, 
yeah, at the end of the day, you're still there to watch somebody's head get hit by a, a telephone pole. It's like uh, <laughs> on some level, <laughs> it's like yeah, right. they're, they're, yeah, you 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 are facing you know grim truths uh, and, and observations and, and, and with humor and and, and other things. Um, but yeah, I just the the Dark Tower is so uh, it's just such a colossal work that. It's like for all the ambitions I have in my life as a writer, I, like I'll never come close to anything like that. And I know it, you know, it's th- that that's how I, I'd, I'd sum it up. Right on, right on. Well, let's talk word processor of the gods. Um, yeah. You chose this title as is our, you know, uh, hook here at the show. Uh, um, Let's first of all, tell us uh, why you picked it. And then if you don't mind, if you could walk us through the. the yeah. The story, just for anyone who hasn't read it. Well, it, it one of the reasons I picked it was so many of the things I love were already taken, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, which is fair enough, but it, but it, but but it's a good opportunity to dig. And also, um, uh, again, it was like you know when we when we mentioned it, there's just this very strange uh, 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 texture of memory I have about these certain things. The the vibe of watching Tales from the Dark Side as a ten year old. You know, uh, and like just the music and the and the opening narration where it's talking about like, once you go out of the light, you're in the dark. It's like mm-hmm. uh, the way that enters your mind as a child uh, and, and and starts to play in your imagination. You know, I, I'm very, you know, I'm very much into uh, I, I believe reading and, and, and viewing things is actually a creative act. Like it requires mm. the the participant, sure. the, the audience's imagination to fill in certain gaps and also bring a bunch of still pictures that you're watching at 24 frames a second, you know, to life. Like your, your imagination has to reassemble that in your consciousness. So, so interesting things happen. Um, and, you know, it's like whatever the quality I, I can look at it with a critical eye now, because I, I just rewatched it yesterday. Uh, I watched that as a kid uh, and, it, and and it went into my memory as just, you know, a really fascinating, dark, twisted, you know, like, like short shock of horror um, that, that has incredible power, you know, the, the memory of that. And I think it's like a, a lot of those things, it's like watching them on VHS gave them a certain texture uh, and, mm. and, and, and word processor of the gods. I, I, I just, for some reason it was lodged in my mind is like this, really interesting thing and you know i rewatched it and it's it's kind of slight it's interesting uh i noticed that ernest dickerson was a cinematographer mm. the, the cinematographer mm-hmm. of spike lee's do the right thing also <laughs> a major the director of uh tales from the crypt the demon knight um and and now you know he does a lot of directing for like the walking dead and he's uh, i think one of the greatest american cinematographers ever um and and the writer uh wrote wrote the original draft of Beetlejuice and did some work on Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, but hmm. it's, a, it's a straight adaptation of this, you know, 10 page short story that King wrote originally for Playboy magazine. Yeah. Uh, and, and then it's in Skeleton Crew, uh, which which most people know Skeleton Crew from The Mist. Uh, yeah. And, and the introduction to Skeleton Crew, you know, King talks about the writing of this short story. But there's this really, again, this there's, there's a thing you know, about learning how to write. I think a lot of my generation learned to write through Stephen King. Um, and, and, and it's because, you know, he was always letting you in on the life of a writer in some of his work uh, and, and talked openly about it. It talked really openly talked about, you know, how much money he was making and didn't make and 
And also just, you know, I've, I've just never forgotten the apocryphal tale of, of him throwing away the pages of Carrie and his wife rescuing them from the trash, like when they were broke and he was making $1.75 an hour working in a laundromat. It's like, yeah. I, I had this like massive epiphany yesterday, like, cause I was closing out my work in Hollywood for six months, you know, before everybody breaks for the holidays. And it was just like, and this isn't to disparage people who are afflicted with the condition, but I was like, nobody tells you that like being a professional writer is, as a job is like so similar to being a gambling addict. Like <laughs> you, you are, you're fucking rolling the dice on your abilities every single time. Yep. Uh, you're facing, you know, your odds are incredibly low of hitting any sort of jackpot. Um, and the house and- always wins. Yeah, and, and you just and, and when you lose and strike out, like you're depressed, and then the next day you're back in the chair at the keyboard going at it again. Mm-hmm. And even when you're winning, when you get a win, you're not satisfied. Like it's two AM. You want to still keep writing, even though you're supposed to have finished a draft and things like that. It's just it's very compulsive, uh, very addictive and and self-destructive in some ways. And King's always been really open about it. And here's this short story, which it's about, you know, this uh school teacher who um, he's given a word processor that his, his, uh, nephew made for him. He, he's like, he tried writing a novel and it didn't have success and, and he's very browbeaten in life. You know, he has a horrible wife and son. And this is kind of mm-hmm. one of the, like, I think like lesser aspects of this story is like, uh, the, the cartoonish nature of how horrible his wife and his son are. But he, you know, apparently King wrote this. Uh, he he had one of the first. I mean, some people say that this. There are literary scholars who say that this is maybe the first uh, American work of fiction that was written on a word processor. It was mm. this, and, and people even know they're obsessive about this stuff. They, they, they it was a, a Wang word processor that cost like uh, twelve thousand dollars at the time, mm-hmm. and and, so and this word crazy. processor has this like legendary quality i like there's a i noticed that there's a quote in one of william gibson's novels pattern recognition a character says i'm in negotiations to buy stephen king's wang <laughs> like this guy who deals in ancient computers. same as a matter of fact <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> but there you know and, and and there's there's like this uh, funnily enough i didn't realize this but getting ready for the episode i was reading about the history of 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 technology and how it changes writing it's like the first uh novel we know of that was written on a typewriter was a mark twain book there's that mark twain connection again the stories about he, he inherits his word processor and and king himself talks about how he was fascinated by the execute delete and copy buttons and he just had this funny idea what if those buttons actually you know somebody could type something hit those buttons and it would happen you know reality would adjust and that's what the story plays out you know it's very much a a a, a genie in the bottle you know wish machine story um but the the funny like thing that king does is like there are no bad consequences there's no like wish that results in in in, in a lesson learned or a more a moral driven home to punish the protagonist instead he uses you know the the ability to change reality with his writing to get rid of his awful wife and son and marry the woman of his dreams right and and, and turn his nephew into his own child uh, who he loves dearly um so, so so there's actually some pretty funny subversion, I think, of that trope in the story. Uh, but but the part that I, I still think is just really interesting and powerful is the middle of it, 
where where he's figuring out that he can type things and and then manifest them into reality and look there i mean there's a fucking metaphor if there ever was one about the the life of a writer and, and what they're trying to do particularly a screenwriter <laughs> yeah it's like um i yeah. mean you're writing it and then someone's bringing it to life you know right. quite literally Creating visually it. Yes. And it's that very strange, yeah, the very strange feeling of being on a set and you walk around behind the set and you see the wood struts holding everything up. Uh, I think there's a really thrilling potential there in that story. But, um, you know, if I get really, like, crazy about it, it's like, I, I think there is, like, you know, I think something we're, we don't reckon with often is that, like, the technology of media that we're all so saturated in, you know, it's only like a like photography and audio recordings are only 120 years old. And this is kind of, you know, a spooky horror thought, but it's like, basically, we've only been living with recordings of people who have died for like, you know, 120 years, mm-hmm. like, like a sort of, you know, like we, we live in a world that's kind of haunted. Like before 1880, um, you don't have that, like in, in all of human history. And, and, and I think there's a really interesting impulse that writers in the late uh, 20th century were, were kind of uh, exploring. I think William Gibson was one of them, you know, this idea that machines were changing how we were recording our memories and how we could change reality with them. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is a, you know, it's a 10 page short story with that's sly and funny. Um, but I, I think at its core, it is dealing with that, uh, you know, which is really interesting. It yeah. is interesting. It should be noted that King was always kind of ahead of the curve with technology. He was always embracing new technology. I remember there was a story about how he co-wrote The Talisman with Peter Straub uh, because Peter, I believe, lived in the UK, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. And, And how they were like essentially using early versions of the Internet to like you know, send tel- telefaxes or whatever the fuck they called it, you know, of yeah. pages to each other where they would like, you know, connect their phone line. You know, in my mind, it's like, it's like a war games or something where they hit put the receiver <laughs> right, on the, right. you know, in that little cradle or whatever. In the you rubber know? socket cradle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but he was always ahead of the curve there where so many people, you know, at that point, you know, were like, old fashioned with like, Oh, that's, you know, these new computers, I don't trust them. I'm I'm going to use my typewriter or whatever. And that includes embracing the internet and, you know, his, uh, uh, you know, he started his own website, you know, in the, you know, early on, like that dude's always been very forward thinking. He's not always the best as we've noted a few times on the show of, uh, of really understanding new tech and writing about it as someone who fully understands it. But like that dude from the beginning has been always looking forward at the next, he's got a natural curiosity, I think about which does play into the story, uh, you know, as, uh, as told here, because as you said, it's like an aspirational thing. This writer, you know, in many ways, this character is like dark side, Stephen King. Like what if, you know, uh, Carrie hadn't been a success, you know, he would have still been a teacher. And, you know, what if his fucking, he didn't like his kid when this kid became a teenager? <laughs> what if, you know, what if he things soured with his wife and, you know, he was stuck there, you know, unrealized dreams and dreaming about like, you know, oh my God, could I, could I get that $12,000 word processor and how much easier would that make my life and, and whatnot, you know, and, and still making a decent amount. I think they mentioned in the story that the, the guys like for, for all of his, uh, unsuccess and you know non-success his failures as a as a novelist you know he still sold his short form 
work for oh, about yeah, five thousand dollars, you know, and five thousand yeah. dollars a year, you know, of income, right? So you know, you know, I don't know. So a lot of that like feels like this is like Stephen King's what if, like what if Carrie didn't work out and wasn't good and nobody liked it, you know? No, totally. And, uh, I, 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 like there's I mean? there's there's some fear and insecurity there uh, manifesting in a really honest way, and that's yeah. like the meta aspect of the story is so fascinating. You know, it's about this like and and King talks in the the intro to to Skeleton Crew that. He often starts these short stories, and and the protagonist is basically himself. That's who he sees in his his mind's yeah. eye is, is a version of himself. Um, and yeah, you're right. It's like this is the you know version of himself that has failed in life and is embittered. Um, but yet again, you know, he's given a device that allows him to set down his thoughts and and allows him to re- alter reality and reorder it which is which is really fascinating and it comes I mean, from somebody he loves which is interesting too you know the this relationship yeah. you know is is kind of atypical cuz usually you know he he'll go with the troubled father thing right, right. you know that that's a, a cornerstone of Stephen King is the the troubled father son relationships yeah. or the abandoned you know a father that abandons the family or hurts the family you know and that, that's you know him obviously wrestling with his own deep dark demons and and fears and and uh whatnot but he here it's really interesting how he has that because this is a, a father who wants out of this family he just he's done with his family <laughs> right. uh, but you know but he also <laughs> somebody who just loves this this other you know kid that wishes it was his own and you know and it's not just that it's his nephew it's not just that you know it's his brother's kid it's legitimately that like this is his his brother ended up with the girl he was sweet on, you know, in back back in their school days. Right. Like yeah, there was yeah. a there was a, a time where it could have very feasibly have been, you know, he could have made it work with her, you know, and and, uh, you know, and that could have been the life that he had, which is the grass is always greener, you know, angle to this, which is which is also really interesting. But I do love that the word processor here, which could be seen as a, a very destructive and evil thing if, if used incorrectly right uh comes from his now dead nephew who was probably the only person he truly loved you know in his in his yeah. uh immediate family right and and the, and the machine is you know it, it's not the sleek twelve thousand dollar weighing word processor that king had it's like cobbled together with even pieces from like an electric toy train set yep and, it, and it's burning and it smells like you know uh, like like sparks like and, uh-huh. and it's constantly like on the verge of of blowing up right. um and so there's like this weird like handmade care with which it's been given to him and there's the very weird like uh side character the guy who was like friends like neighbors to his brother and and, and nephew and the, the the unrequited love of his life um, yeah. who who has like a late night phone conversation with him where he basically imparts like, I know this terrible power I'm gifting you. Be careful. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's like, it's a really funny aside that that character seems to be aware that yeah, he's just given him godlike powers. And it's just like, <laughs> take care, you know, don't, don't drink too much beer tonight. Mm. But the moment, you know, like just the genius of Stephen King is like, you know, uh, you're, you're going along and then like the guy sets down to write the first sentence. And, and I think he writes like, you know, my brother was a drunk and, and that's when it's like, oh, OK, like the, here we're tearing away the veil and getting into what this family really was and, and how this guy really feels. And, and like, you know, that's where the thrill starts for me in the story is like King King's digging it into some real shit here. Yeah. Uh, well, you know. 
to that to that end, my my big takeaway after rereading this this morning, and it had been a long time since I had, was that this this one falls into this subcategory of Stephen King short stories that I've sort of noticed while doing this show. You know, we've spent so much goddamn time talking about Stephen King and rereading King and all this for for this mm. podcast. Um, you know, little tropes or connective tissue that I didn't notice before is now readily apparent. Mm. And, you know, like the thing we're always talking about on the show about he has an obsession with corn. Um, <laughs> another thing is that, you know, there was a period and it was particularly, you know, uh, late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. Um, where a lot of his short stories involve a guy and maybe he's a writer and he hates his fucking family. Like, (laughs) there's so many of those stories. And this one really goes ham on that shit. Like, there's a lot of skeleton crew, right? Because skeleton crew is also children of the corn, which opens with his husband just like, oh, I fucking hate my wife. uh, (laughs) We we just did an episode on the monkey, right? Mm -hmm. And I was saying, like, you know, if you were writing short fiction for porno mags in the 80s, right? Like, you there would probably be a certain or there might be a certain kind of story that would have more appeal to such readers than others. And a wish fulfillment story about replacing your entire family with like a beautiful woman and like a fucking a loving child. Little, yeah. The, you know, like, yeah, I understand, you know, everything y'all have said so far in the analytical end, very true. Can't argue with any of it, but also I think there's a little bit of that at play here. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and I think this story might be the most representative example of that. Mm. Like we can go to children of the corn. We can go to the monkey. You could even do the shining and have that fall mm-hmm. under this category. If you really wanted to look at it from an angle, but I don't know. I find it a little off putting. I got to be honest. Mm. I found oh, no, it off, I'm with you. I yeah, found totally. it off putting. The monkey. That on. I, I found it off putting in children of the corn when we reread that. And I still do. It's like, it, yeah. it just seems a little egregious. Right. It's especially, like, uh, it's especially off putting in this story because this story, it's not like we the only examples we really get of the wife being or well being shitty is is how she responds whenever he rewrites her the first time when he deletes his yeah. asshole son. Yeah. Fatter. He makes yeah, her fatter. Well, and that's the thing. It's the very first thing. It, it, it's all about her look. She she went from being too chubby for him to being fat like i think they describe her as going from 180 pounds to no, no, no. 380 no, that's the hilarious part no, 280 no, to 300 is it 280 it was 180 no, i think it's 180 it's 180 because yeah. i remember specifically clocking like wait she was 180 you're complaining <laughs> like, yeah yeah like, that's yeah. just that, <laughs> um, yeah yeah that's like, the good that, shit man we're you know, I'm a, pro- <laughs> right. I'm a proponent of the thickness now. Yes, yeah, right. Let's right. not get carried away, so, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> so no, but you're you're absolutely right in that, and and it actually makes me wonder, especially since we know that Tabby is like the first person that reads his shit. Like, was she reading these stories? I know, and right? going like, Steve, right. do we need to have a talk about something? Or right. Do you right. have something in your mind? <laughs> yeah. like, imagine I'm, Joe I'm, Hill reading that story at 15 years old, being like, yeah. uh, like the kid gets deleted yeah. and it's like one of the best things that could ever happen to this guy's life. Like, you know, uh, no, you're 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 dead on that. It's like it's like I said, it's a nasty little piece of candy. This short story, there there is something going on there. And like I said, uh, maybe that's the writer confronting like their insecurities. Like I, there's that part of the writer you always think you're on the edge of failure. 
mm-hmm. and so I don't know. It leads to lashing out to the people around you that y- you love or something. There, there, mm. There's something really sublimated going on for sure in that period in his writing. Um, but I appreciate King's candor in trying to explore it. I mean, this is like, right. you know, uh, this is why one of my favorite books by him is, is the memoir on writing and, mm-hmm. and, and if word process of the gods is literally about a, a writer sitting and, and has a magical device that can turn words into reality on writing is like, I think the best rebuke of it where, you know, he, he was writing a book on explaining his writing. And I think when, when I talk about like how influential he is to other writers, I, I think another thing about King, just his, his prose style um, when, when you're young, like it, it's so, it's so good and sharp and, and like, but not overworked. It makes you feel like, uh, you, you, you might be capable of it, you know, like, like, like he doesn't put this high barrier of language to show off. Uh, so, so it feels like, Hey, Hey, I might be able to put sentences together the way this, this guy does. Do I have his personality or imagination? You know, that, that that's the big question. Um, mm. But but you know, on writing is is ostensibly this 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 guide to writing, but it also gets into the the car accident, get, right. and, and his recovery, and and confrontation with mortality, um, in a way that was unexpected for him. I, I think he'd already written half the book when the car accident happened, um, and and you know it's it's like it's unifying all these things, and then he opens up with extreme candor in that memoir about his self destructive impulses. Um, you know, the cocaine mm-hmm. use and, 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 and the drinking and so on. So uh, it, it's very open about, yeah, just how even somebody as successful as him is, is dealing with a human, human consequences throughout that entire career. Um, and, you know, yeah, it, it appears in the work in sometimes disturbing ways. But that's horror, you know, like, yeah, uh, that's but, fair. But, I, but I'm with you. It, it is. It, it's an off-putting story. And, and the TV adaptation is even more cartoonish, so it makes it even worse. <laughs> <laughs> now, but, we, we talked about this briefly before we recorded, but I, I didn't rewatch the uh, I didn't rewatch that episode. Um, yeah. Can you can you like d- d- go ahead and describe like the cartoon? Oh, I mean, it, it's pretty much, you know, it, it like the, the the script for it is is nearly word for word. Uh-huh. Not much changes at all. Um, it, it's just the style of it, uh, is, 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 is a little, you know, <laughs> over the top and, and cartoonish. And like when the wife comes home from the bingo with the Turkey, it's, it's like the lighting shifts to like, you know, blue tinged eighties horror. And it's like <laughs> over the top and silly. And, and Bruce Davison who would later play, Oh, I can't remember, but he, he had a great role in a Stephen King adaptation later. Yeah, Gerald's game he doesn't seem like somebody who's stressed out or, 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 or uh, feeling horrible about his family. He just seems like chill and happy and is dressed in really nice clothes. He seems like kind of a, a yuppie instead of a, a loser in life. So, so it kind of disassociates what, what the nature of it should be. Hmm. Um, but it still just has like that weird, like eighties, like I said, texture of, of dreamlike stuff that exists from hmm. watching late night TV or VHS. Right. Which, which, which I can still, it's like a radio frequency that sets off, you know, code words in my mind. And I turn into a, an Android assassin from, from connecting to or something and I, I'm <laughs> into it. Um, but yeah, it, it's slight and, and it's funny. Uh, and, and, and it's nasty, like exactly like <laughs> Scott like the story. Yeah. Well, it's fun. Like I think about like, what's the classic twilight zone episode, the original series, the, 
guy who gets three wishes and every time he makes a wish it, it, it like he gets his wish but it also makes everything worse and it ends with him like wanting to be powerful rich and then him and his wife are hitler and eva brown in the bunker you know <laughs> right. as the, as the right. allies are knocking on the door like mm-hmm. um yeah, that's what I mean about like typically stories like this have that moral twist. The, yeah, it's the, the it's the monkey's paw effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. The, Which, this one is just wish fulfillment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, and that and that's something that's that's really interesting too. It feels like if he hadn't like specifically written this to be a short story, that if this was a novella, then he would have played around a little bit more with with the with the cruel twist of fate aspect of of this conceit right where right. here it's like it's just such a quick in and out he builds in a ticking clock right where it's like this machine is so thrown together and the person who made it is dead you know right yeah and and every time you like as he's figuring out how to use it he's essentially using up his wishes he only has a certain amount of commands he can do and yeah. the the bigger the ask, like the more strain it is on the machine, and the the each time he uses it, it's closer to just being done and fizzing out, right? Um, and I really that's one of my favorite parts of the story. Actually, is like towards the end when he finally realizes that the thing this thing's real, and he's like just frantically yeah. on the spot trying to come up with stuff because he even like makes a mention like, oh shit, maybe I should have just instead of typing, I want you know. Uh, the my nephew and and his mother to be back from the dead you know fuck my drunk brother i guess um (laughs) (laughs) but uh, i want them to be back from the dead and my wife and child uh and as he's typing that he goes oh fuck i probably should say like i wish that like all the kinks were worked out on on this machine or you know i should have typed that in and you know then you would have had unlimited wishes or whatever uh but you know i do i do love that kind of feel you get when king really puts the screws to his character and there's like a time crunch here yeah and he's like he's doing it the machine smoking and sparking and it's like oh fuck is he even gonna get this out and you know <laughs> i don't know that, that to me is like the most fun part of the the story yeah the exact yeah. wrong way to have ended the story would have been he replace it he you know he gets some money he replaces the family and then he just walks off into the sunset. Now he can do whatever he wants for the rest of his life. That would be boring as shit. The fact yeah. that the machine, like, you know, you know, dies on him at, yeah. right after that, like the second major wish that he makes, basically, yeah. um, which, which doesn't apply. Yeah, mm-hmm. because because there's this whole thread. This is a ten page short story, but there's this mm-hmm. whole thing about Jonathan, his nephew. Is he this child genius who cobbled together this? machine that can actually realize the will of you know the user mm. um is jonathan a creepy psychic kid who you know like <laughs> knows how to transcend life and death like mm. did, did did he purposely create this thing knowing that he would bring him back uh i, I think like with king i wondered there, that too right mm. there, there's got to be an element of that um i will say the the end of the tv adaptation you know there's the jonathan says like and mom made some cocoa. Do you want some? And Bruce Davidson is like, yeah. And then like they cut to this beautiful woman in like a white gown and she's like glowing with a Tiffin Pro Mist <laughs> filter. And like, and she's holding a cup of cocoa and smiling and like the credits start to, you know, fade over her, uh, uh, the, the mm-hmm. series credits. And it's like the least Tales from the Dark Side episode I think I've ever seen ending. Like, you know, it, it looks like the end of a cheesy sitcom where this guy is getting everything he wants. But, you know, I'm derailing uh, this 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 whole other thing, which is there is a creepy psychic kid who, you know, can, can, can like, uh, uh, transcend death somewhere in this story. Mm. I don't know. I don't know that I, 
the thought didn't occur to me that he might be psychic. What yeah. I was thinking yeah, was this I, I, guy. I, I, I meant, yeah. I, yeah. What yeah. I was thinking was this kid has some sort of preternatural intelligence. And yeah. I'm thinking sort of along the lines of uh, the super intelligence people get in the Tommy knockers when they start invest yeah. in, inventing right. like fucking weird things that do magical shit. Um, weird things that do magical shit. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's probably that's the best perfect. way. That's the title of, of his book yeah. after Holly, that, actually. That, yeah. that should be a that should be a, 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 a Netflix anthology series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell Guillermo you've got the season two title down. Yeah. <laughs> Scott Wampler's cabinet of weird things that do magical, <laughs> magical shit. Magical shit. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it did occur to me that maybe he gave it to him in the hopes of, you know, like swapping families because the kid doesn't mm. know he's going to die unless he's yeah. psychic. But I don't think he does or he wouldn't have gotten yeah. a fucking car to begin with. Um, right. And. <sighs> Or did he want to die so that he could transfer to his, his, yeah, his surrogate maybe, but that's father? Yeah, maybe, but that's a big fucking jump. Leap. You know? Yeah, like, that's a pretty big leap. <laughs> you talk about rolling the dice. It's like, all, all for my plan to work, all that needs to happen is if I have to allow myself to be killed by driving off of 90-foot cliff in a van. <laughs> and then... For my drunk-ass dad, yeah. Assume yeah. that my uncle will put it together that he can replace his awful family with me <laughs> and a beautiful lady. And, like, like that's... I mean, I wouldn't I don't know. I'm telling bet. you, there's, there's... No, no, but it's like, if there's the subconscious impulse to talk about hating your family and some of the work I... There is something there uh, because I've always been, I've always been fascinated by, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but my memory is there is a recurring thing in Stephen King's work, uh, not just in the Dead Zone, uh, but it's also in Firestarter and other works where it, when somebody dies, they gain all this knowledge that's secret. You know, they they gain access to uh, a, an understanding of the world that normal people aren't allowed to have. Is, is that a, a misconception of mine? Uh, I wouldn't say that that's like on the forefront of no, it's not, but it's but it's think... lurking like it's almost like this this philosophical tick he returns to time and again because I just remember it being in Firestarter in the book in a very weird way where uh he's he's talking about uh the the father having a near death experience and it gave him access to or maybe mm. I'm just complete like I said this stuff is well, in my no, memory because in a very strange way I well. You mentioned the dead zone first, and I'm trying to map that onto the dead zone. Yeah. And yeah, it's like he, I guess, he, he I dies. guess, in the sense that he then becomes psychic and then he can see the future, that that is giving him some sort of ultimate knowledge. But he has to do, he doesn't just have it. He has to, yeah, knowingly shake someone's hand or touch them in order to, to yeah, get so it. much the, of the better okay. example of this yeah. actually is revival, which is straight up about having the knowledge of what happens after you die. Like right. that's what that book is about. And yeah. as you know, no spoilers for revival, but as the many, many people we have talked into reading this book can tell you, um, it does not end well. Uh, I, I haven't read it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, uh, oh, it's like, this is just a standard thing we do on the show is urge our guests to read it. It's um probably his, it's one of his best books of the last yeah. decade or so. And, um, it has one of his all time best endings and it's some truly dark shit that like yeah. kept, kept me up at night for a month after I read it. Everyone that re like people will tag us on Twitter 
picture of a copy of Revival and be like, I'm starting Revival. Thanks for the recommendation. And then like a week later, <laughs> like, they'll be like, what the fuck, man? You know, like like another satisfied customer. Um, so to, to your point, I would I would certainly seek out Revival if you've not mm. read that. And okay. um, and you may be yeah. onto something there, actually. Maybe. I, uh, yeah. I no, have no, a, Eric. Yeah, I have a feeling just going back to the intent from the kid. I think that if there's magic in this machine, yeah, it's just because it was made by somebody who loves a family member, and it's like the last bit of their them, right? It, if the, yeah. if there's magic that comes from the machine, I feel like the idea is that it comes from love, right? That this is something right. that was made by somebody for somebody that they that they love, and that somebody's not there anymore, right? So, yeah, um, I. I don't get the the feeling that maybe this kid was like super creepy and whatnot. He described him <laughs> as wearing like really shitty glasses, like horn rim glasses, because it was cheaper <laughs> than than the, the other glasses. Like I just kind of picture him as like a a lovable nerdy kid who just never feels at home in their own family. Right? I I think and, I'm projecting the adaptation onto it because in the oh, TV okay. version the kid's a creep. Oh uh, well, I mean, <laughs> that might, act, that, that might acting is creepy. Uh, and when he's like, "Do you want some cocoa?" It's just like, "Oh, nope." Shit. Like, yeah, <laughs> maybe they were trying to make the episode have more of a sting or yeah, something. It's uh, possible. I, I could definitely see an adaptation, like kind of embracing a little bit more of that. The Twilight Zoney, Tales from the Crypty, Twisty, yeah, you know, nature of like, what do you do with this ultimate power? You know, um, it, and and how how could you know him wishing his son away? Like, it it should change more than just his you know his wife getting fatter and going to bingo or whatever the hell she does, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, you know, there there should be a little bit more of an impact there. Um, I love. I by the way, just a here. quick note. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I love how. He introduces the going to bingo thing as like the ultimate housefrau activity. <laughs> you know, yeah, like of that, course that, she's going to bingo. Yeah. And it's just right. instant Archie Bunker spitefulness like <laughs> yeah. radiates uh, outward out of that. You know, um, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I will say reading that introduction to Skeleton Crew again, it's like he talks about how many of his ideas start with wouldn't it be funny if, and he drives it home. He mentions it like <laughs> yeah. twice in the essay. Wouldn't it be funny <laughs> if you could make your horrible family disappear (laughs) (laughs) and but you know i i think there is you know there is an element of of, of like comedy to horror like i i I think comedy and horror are the two genres that actually more than sci-fi and fantasy are related to horror comedy and horror have some of the same impulses um and i'm saying this as somebody now that it's been out for a few months you know a little bit of a spoiler but it's like like people like had this you know great generous reaction to the viewing um the that episode of the del toro series mm-hmm. uh, but people would say like oh it was so scary and and i'm like y- you did notice like there's a space rock that sucks <laughs> in a giant bong hit you know like a, a giant right. cloud of marijuana smoke that affects it like you know like there, there's there's definitely meant to be some some humor there so i i, I think like king is maybe a little bit of the nastiness in the story is just part of him being amused at at some of this Mm. like you know yeah if he is like digging into oh what 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 was the worst outcome for me i'll make it a little bit funny yeah so let's say you are gifted the word processor of the gods same rules apply as in the story (laughs) um we're going to eliminate the part where he fucks around with the uh picture that's on the wall that's yeah. just a, you've already tested that out. 
you now have two wishes that you can make before this thing kills itself. Uh, <laughs> what are those wishes? Well, I, oh, wow. I mean, God, what a question to be hit with. But the clock's ticking, right? The machine's burning, sparking. It's, it's Assume smoking. that you can get two out. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, look, I'm in the funny. I, I I love my wife to bits. She's like I think one of the best human beings on the planet, and and my dog and my cat. So I would never I would never even get rid of a picture of her, <laughs> as he does in the story. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if anything, I would. Uh, her, her, she's Colombian, uh, and if anything, one of my you know, uh, I, I I I I don't know. I, I'm gonna try and not do these ridiculous grand beauty pageant. Peace, peace on earth wishes if i was caught in the moment and, and really granular wow you know right, right now as we're approaching the end of 2022 <laughs> i have some really dark impulses there, there's 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 some people you out would there buy I'd love Twitter. To... <laughs> no, i don't want that monkey's paw that's a, that's a fucking monkey's paw but there there's definitely some people i would uh, punish you know like uh with, with, with or delete one of the wishes yeah yes I, I, oh my god yes you know what i would what i would delete are people with main character syndrome and narcissism that that, that uh <laughs> predisposes them to want all our attention and and i feel like we're caught in a really abusive cycle of allowing those people to dominate our, our imaginations like you know we, we we had one and now we've got another yes <laughs> so 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 i guess and i i think this is actually a recurring theme of the things man not like both in mandy and the viewing you know it was very interesting to drop a a a, a, a thing on on netflix that's about a narcissistic billionaire who buys people essentially and and the horror he brings to everybody uh, on on like the week that that asshole bought twitter (laughs) so um that that would be part of my wish i don't i I would just wish for some stability i mean i'm just really worried for everyone with this economic downturn coming uh everyone Uh, we've been through some rough few years fuck you know what absolutely i would i would wish i would i would erase the code ever happened i I would totally do that for everyone yeah, I, I would just. That's I, an interesting I, I, thing to imagine. Like how yeah. how would that I, I would, affect things? I would give back the three years to young people who who got derailed by that. I, I would right. give back us being able to go to movie theaters. You know, uh, not having lost that for years. I just even you know, I, I think people don't really recognize. It's funny. Uh, I'm I'm obsessed with White Lotus season two. I think it's so incredible. But season one, I, I really didn't like. But season one was was made because of COVID protocols. It, it was it was a show creator where it was like, where can we go and shoot something where we'll all be contained in one location? Um, and, and that's I always find amazing. Sometimes the genesis of ideas is working within constraints that are imposed yeah. upon you. But I also think people like movies for the past two years have all been made in really weird circumstances, you know, and, and TV. It's it's like it's really hard to be artistic and collaborative with people when everyone's wearing like upside down riot face shields <laughs> and, right. and, and you can't just gently like whisper to, to an actor, you know, it's like every, every uh, uh, interaction has, has to be negotiated and, and, and with protocols. Um, so yeah, like, you know, that, that, that's something I, I just wish that that's something I would wish for. Yeah. Hmm. But there's a monkey's paw effect there too um for sure right i I mean because obviously you know if covid doesn't happen that's millions and millions and millions of people uh you know at this point who aren't suffering long-term 
uh, illness because of it. There's, you know, that are alive because of it. But yeah. what are some of the ripple effects? I think that no, there, I mean, hasn't like, been a, there, there hasn't been a study yet on it. But I think that uh, should, since most of the people dying in the last, since the vaccine have been older, uh, let's say, right-leaning people. Yeah, uh, I don't think that we the Democrats take the midterms. I don't no, know if Joe no, Biden totally. was elected if yeah. without you know. I think we're in year two of of Trump at this point. If there's right. no COVID, right, or year not year two but term two mm-hmm. of Trump, if there's no COVID, right. Um, and just on a personal <laughs> level, like you know, just, you know, I don't I don't want to you know belittle the actual horrors that the world has gone through, but like I was in a really like probably the worst financial place of my life leading into COVID. Uh, And it was the, it was the, uh, the extended unemployment and then us, the time, the ability to start the show, which wouldn't have happened if we weren't in lockdown that like actually gave me kind of a new creative purpose. It gave me new financial stability that I hadn't had in like two years before then, you know, it's, you know, my personal life, uh, would be radically different had COVID not happened, you know? No, I know. I wouldn't have gotten married probably like the yeah. way I did. I mean, yeah, it's like that chain of consequence. I mean, that's deep, Eric. And, and mm-hmm. it's a really great point. It's, it's like the consequences of our actions are, you know, so, so history is, is very often uh, people trying to impose some kind of plan on the world and, and, and unintended consequences take right. over. And I think you're right. It's like, you know, like Trump is probably in his second term. I, I do this thing too, where it's like a lot of the work I'm doing now in TV and movies with, with bigger things that involve, you know, existing series and stuff. You've got fictional timelines that you have to be uh, aware of and, and, and respectful to. Yeah. Um, and, and I think like, you know, uh, not to talk about my own work, but you look at like, Andor, it's like, uh, all, all the the parables and metaphors for for the return of fascism and fighting against it, like that was really invigorating to bring that into Star Wars so so openly. Yeah. Uh, but but Tony Gilroy has talked about like, well, look, it's like any point in history, like you you, you can point to you know things going back thousands of years, like every twenty thirty years, there's the rise of some kind of fascism and some kind of cyclic you know rebellion right. against it. And and when you're working in science fiction, you can plot that out too. It's like you're trying to build a fictional history and you're like, wow, what, how, how do you create a situation where, where fascism rises again? It's like, Oh, look out your fucking window on a Tuesday. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> this yeah. is why this stuff keeps recurring and, and repeating. It's like, yeah, there, there's, there's good and bad mm. consequences to it all. You know, what would uh, be a good like shortcut to avoiding all the worst stuff um, is like, if, if you had a wish, instead of saying, I wish for world peace, that's too broad, it's too generic. Yeah. If you wished for somebody and you typed into the word processor of the gods, everybody that every human being uh, has um, unconditional empathy. Yeah, that then then that then brings upon or brings out that world peace, right? Because I know, you know, right now not, it's you know, aren't you doing Wonder Woman eighty four right now? <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> I'm gonna do a really awkward uh, speech to camera here for about <laughs> for about five minutes and enough empathy to fill the Nile, uh, fill the Nile. <laughs> um, but you know, but, but that because that, that's. No. <laughs> that's my reaction that's my dark side coming in Kal-El, no, but, it's but, like... but you know but that to me like <laughs> the, it has been the root problem of 
of the rise of the, of the the new fascist movement. You know, it's 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 who gives a fuck about gay people and trans people and whatever. It doesn't affect me. You know, it's it, it's a, it's such a weird thing to see. Just I don't know, proud non empathy. You know, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, out there, and and you see it a lot of time. I mean, this is a left problem and a right problem, but it's mo- it's a you know on a much larger scale a right leaning problem because it's those are the the folks that are dictating and uh, you know they're trying to pass laws you know <laughs> that will hurt other people because it doesn't affect them and they just don't like those other people now right yeah that's the Supreme Court decision that's why you know uh, you know I don't know that's the the Roe v Wade thing it's the, it's the anti uh, gay laws that they're trying to pass and you know I don't know it's like it just feels like if you do that then that you know a lot of the anti-vax stuff goes away a lot of you know the just the worst of the worst that you've seen, you know, recently, you know, kind of goes away. I don't know what the ripple effect is there, though. I don't know what the see. That's you know. the problem. Is the 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 dark horror tinge side of my mind is yeah. like you know any imposition of like that on human behavior. You know, it's like it, it's it's very little too close to planting chips in people's head, and we all know how that's right. going to fucking work out, right? It's like, and, I, and and that's not to reject what you're saying. I'm absolutely with yeah. you. It's like a lack of empathy. Uh, and understanding but i think for every person that has empathy and understanding and this kind of ties into what scott was saying about the story it's like uh you you can't have a complete human being if you're not in recognition of the dark aspects and impulses and the things we hide from ourselves and the bravest writers are are exploring that and, and 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 digging into humanity on a level where None of us, you know, are, are, are that graceful. Like, you know, even people with the best, <laughs> I, I, I've done some, you know, work in, in, in documentary circles uh, centered around protest and, and social justice. And, you know, I, I've seen people who have great causes who are terrible fuck ups of human beings, you know, yeah. on many levels. Um, and that's fascinating. You know, at the same time, too, I, I don't think until we're honest with, uh, an inherent darkness in us that, that uh, we have a complete recognizance of humanity. And, and, and that's one of the reasons I gravitate towards horror is, is to understand that, that, that everyone has those impulses. We're all trying to deal with uh, how confusing it is to wake up and assemble yourself as a human being with all your impulses um, and, and all the good you want to do and all the bad. Now how that becomes twisted and actually embodies itself is vicious ideology where people are, are full of hatred to actually manifest it in, in their actions against people that that's, you know, that that's the leap where, where things explode into outward actual fascism, which, you know, like when I talk about, <laughs> if you ask me about wishes, it's too, it's too big of a question, but I, I think undeniably in our time and in our lifetimes, it is, incredible that yet again we are i think we're facing a a a, a fascist uprising around the globe you know yeah it's not just localized to to any corner of the planet something is really going on and where we are as a species right now i think you all have you have both made some some excellent excellent points here and that's uh you know you're you're thinking about this on a on a worldwide stage but it's precisely because of the unintended consequences mm-hmm. of, say, removing COVID or giving everyone ultra empathy yeah. that I'm going to go in a different direction on this one and be extremely selfish. I want to be 
mind-bogglingly rich. And, <laughs> and I don't ever want to have to work again. I don't ever want to have to see a bill again. I want to have enough money to take me and everyone I love and fucking travel the world, buy out, like, a neighborhood somewhere where we can all live together, fucking just enjoy the rest of my life as you much want Bruce, as I Bruce Wayne riches. Yeah. yeah that's what I'm Tony talking Stark about. riches. Right. And you'll never hear from me again. Like, yeah. like I, I, I'm not talking about being like a billionaire where then you hang out on fucking Twitter all day, making an ass of yourself or, you want, <laughs> or, or you run for office because somehow you need more than just all that money. Like, no, yeah. I would be very happy with just all the money. Like I, right. I, and I'll fuck off and no one would literally, no one would ever hear from me again. Like I would, <laughs> I would, I would. Ugh. But see, you say, wouldn't you, it, wouldn't you miss doing this? I mean, wouldn't you miss the podcast? Like, yeah. well, I can do things for fun. But then Eric, yeah. can exactly, have all the exactly, money. But Eric, <laughs> Eric, I'm buying you a house. Like, Aaron, you're getting a house. Everyone's getting a fucking house. We're gonna fucking. I live in, I live like, in New York. Be careful what you wish for. Like, you know, like <laughs> there goes half man, your fortune. <laughs> I'm gonna get a thousand billion dollars during this. Bitch, okay, <laughs> don't even sweat it at all. And it's not like that. It's traceable, right? So it's not like the world knows your ability. You can be a secret, like quadrillionaire. Yeah. That way. Yeah, but please, no one needs to know let, about this shit. Let, let me come hang out on your island. I won't tell anybody. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Although Wait, I so, understand there's some, you know, uh, unfortunate connotations between billionaires and islands. So, so maybe, <laughs> maybe not an island. Maybe an archipelago <laughs> or, or something along those lines. You're but, gonna end right. up collecting you know, mysterious rocks and having people compose music for your house. Yeah. One of the that, biggest disappointments happens. of my adult life is realizing that my generation is very likely not getting a retirement that mm. social security seems very fucked. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that just disappear within our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. um, the idea that, and so the idea that I'm basically just going to work until I'm dead drives me fucking insane. Like right. I'm a guy who lives to have new experiences and, you know, adventures and shit, you know, yeah. they, they don't yeah. have to be all like, you know, riding on private jets, but I still want to do fun shit. I want to, I want to live a life. Right. Yeah. And despite the, the, you know, how, how gross it is to say, I want to be filthy rich. Well, fucking the freedom that would come with that mm -hmm. um, yeah. is, is what I'm really after. And, and yeah, I think I do that. And then I don't got to worry about any of this. Like, well, what happens if COVID didn't happen or what happens if this or that, like I can do this and probably not cause too many problems. You know? Right. Right. It's just on you. Yeah. And I think, look, it's a fair, I mean, what you're talking about, really, you're not talking about, you want to be obscenely wealthy to impose order on other people. You're just talking nope. about, no, no. And this actually, I think really ties into one of the reasons I gravitated towards Stephen King, honestly, is just his openness about how hard of a struggle it was at the start of his career and how broke he was. It's like, there's so little talk in the arts of how any of us afford to even get into it, you know? Um, yeah. Like, like, like there's, there's discussion of Nepo babies sometimes now. Um, but, but putting aside the triviality of that, it's like, you know, that like, I, I think it is a fair, honest question. Like how the hell does anybody get by? I, my family had zero contacts with anything involving, you know, my, my dad was in the army. My mother was an immigrant from Korea. Um, mm -hmm. it, the, the, the chances of me ever getting to, to, to uh, 
write the things I have done and, and do what I did are very, very, very small. And yeah, I was really fucking broke in, in so many of those years. Um, sometimes I wonder how I even did it. And, and King writes about that openly in a lot of his work. And I think those, those years of his life, he's never forgotten them and allows him to ground characters in a way that, that just feels really honest, you know, like I, I feel like so, so much, uh, literary work in America is geared towards people who have really expensive wool sweaters and, and like, you know, summer homes and King Todd and shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Where, whereas my horror and sci-fi and fantasy people like, uh, you know, like look at George R. R. Martin. He, he's, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't have drip in, in his clothes though. Though he can afford it now. <laughs> He's got think, suspender, unless you call suspender strip. Yeah. I think actually he has done what you want to do, Scott. He like owns a movie theater and and uh, and a restaurant in Arizona, you know. So, oh, so, so he's, would love he's living the dream, right? Also, also oh. if you had that amount of money, you could be donating huge chunks of it. Flint, Michigan, your water problem's done. Like, right. You, you could direct it. Yeah. You could, you know, people that are way smarter than me can figure out what to do with that money. But if I've got like basically unlimited money, then, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to keep it all for myself because I'm never going to need it all, you know, so you can right. do good shit with it. It's the craziest fucking thing in the world to me that people like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, who have yeah, yeah. just a grotesque amount of money, um, aren't doing more shit like that. Like, don't they fucking realize that if they just carved out a billion dollars out of their fortunes yeah. and like put it toward like shit that would really help people. People would like them more, you know, like how do you not fucking understand (laughs) that? How do you need a hundred billion dollars and you can't give some of it up? Like, no. And it's always funny that they'll, they'll announce that they did some super generous thing and then a reporter will dig into it and it'll turn out like the money never left their enterprise. Yes. At the time of this recording, there was one recently about Elon Musk, like having donated a certain thing. And then they actually traced it back to, he donated <laughs> his, own his own charity. Own yeah. yeah. <laughs> like wow. come the fuck on man. Like, or like, remember when they like, like caught the, the Trump family, like then they have like a, like a kids with cancer research charity or some bullshit. And they were taking yeah. money out of that. Like, are you fucking right. serious right now? Yeah. I, I, that's, that's a level of like, just. Or, or even like really rich celebrities pandering crypto and ads. Mm. Like the, yeah. It's yeah. Like, looking at you, Matt Damon. <laughs> like, you, you didn't buy a farm. You sold it off to people and then abandoned them. I, it's like, <laughs> You, you know, I, I struggle with this as a writer a lot. It's like we have this thing where, you know, in, in, in development of TV and film, you know, you get notes about humanizing the villains. Um, and and I think there's a really important thing there about uh, 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 they're, they're better and richer when they are human beings that are understandable. Yeah, sure. but, mm-hmm. but the problem for me is that we have these real world examples of people who are fucking nefarious, who... Um, I examine their motives from a distance and all I can see is, you know, uh, greed. Uh, it's, it's that simple. You know, I'm, I'm sure there are underlying principles to, you know, one of, one of my favorite stories about Elon Musk that I, I think is just never brought up enough is that, you know, for years he's, he, he's, he's told these stories of being bullied and, you know, I, I won't deny that, you know, that's absolutely a possibility and that's, that's horrible. Like, um, but according to his father, uh, who his father alleges that um, this story about Musk getting bullied so bad that he he ended up in hospital was because that Musk 
made fun of a kid in their school whose father had committed suicide. Right. Mm. And it actually pushed the kid to such a level of rage that, you know, he he threw him down some stairs as a reaction. Um, And look, we don't know if that's true or not. That's an allegation by his father, but his father said that his father relates it in very vivid detail. So it seems like a memory where he, he, he says, you know, once he discovered what had happened, he couldn't even defend his child from, from what he'd done because, he had clearly crossed a line and, and, and hurt somebody else to such a degree that, that this had happened. And I think that that's okay. That's how I can start to like humanize this person's behavior and how their personality is built out and, you know, maybe, maybe why they're so insecure and, 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 and lash out in horrible ways. But, but I'm just constantly faced with like dealing with villains motivations where I'm like, but, but look, look at the real fucking world. (laughs) Right. People are doing absolute evil. Like, you know, Dick Cheney, did he just Mm. do that really for just, just to make his buddies richer on the stock market? Like he started a purposeless war. Like Mm -hmm. do people actually do that? Like, and and it seems like history kind of bears out that, that, you know, like, I mean, they call it the banality of evil, but I, I think there's something, like we really have to reckon with there that, that sometimes these motivations are, are, are that simple and, and awful and have put us all in a really horrible fucking position. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Any of these fuckers could give everybody on, on the planet a few thousand dollars and they'd be hailed as a hero. Um, right. But they never do. They never do. Like, well, look, you know? look at how beloved Mr. Beast is for, for example, oh, right. For giving like a right? hundred bucks. Elon on could Twitch. be Mr. Beast <laughs> on steroids. If he, if he really wanted, if, if all he really wants is adoration and it kind of feels like that's what he's wanting. Now he wants people to like him and is confused. And now? Pissed off that's always been his shit. Well, like, it's being, it's apparent now it's a, it's more apparent now than it's ever been. He's a fucking and, and, nerd and his, who wanted to be cool his entire goddamn <laughs> life and thought he could buy his way to that and has failed miserably to do so. That thing with him getting booed at the Dave Chappelle show must have fucking been awful for him, which, you know, yeah. makes it very entertaining for me. Oh yeah. yeah. You can enjoy that thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at least oh, we have fuck that. Yeah, I can, you know? <laughs> Like because I like we it know when they'll, bad things they'll happen never to be, bad people. Yeah, they'll never be as cool as us. <laughs> oh Jesus! Well, I, well, you know, I feel like I'm a bit more human at the very least. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. so you know, I'm I, I consider myself like a, a blue collar guy <laughs> at heart, and I and I kind of am. I'm fucking, you know, I'm not working with my hands, obviously, but you know. Eric and I built this shit from the ground up and we yeah, turned it into our own it's job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it is, yeah. it is tough sometimes. And, um, I just, I think that people who, people who go through that sort of struggle and as you did, you know, uh, you know, working as a dishwasher and stuff like that while you're working your way up to where you are now, like, yeah. uh, you just, you, you gain humanity in the process of that. Yeah. And I think if yeah. you just buy out companies, constantly to enrich your portfolio and your bottom line well you're not really learning anything about humanity there you're just learning about capitalism and right you know that's how you end up with like people with again in a grotesque amount of money that are not really doing much good with it and in fact are fucking things up for the rest of the human beings are scattered right. around the world 
and, and you're and you're part of an openly public cabal of fucking weirdo other rich people who who aren't <laughs> trying to be so public in their presence, but they're trying to buy out elections. I mean, we know this. Like, you know, we know Peter Thiel is dumping money into creepy people to try and get them into office and, and so on. You know, yeah. we know Jared Kushner's out there like managing oil blood money with with people who assassinate journalists mm-hmm, uh, right. and, and they're all pals like in public and and they all have a squared up ideology but you know in a funny way like to bring it back to stephen king i have to say one of my favorite fucking things and this is what i mean about like you guys are cooler than than than, than these billionaires and i have zero <laughs> doubt about it I love so much that every time Elon Musk replies to Stephen King on Twitter, that King has never replied back to him. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like it's like a dopamine IV drip for me. I get so much joy out of like, and that's the uncoolness. It's like you know, you own the fucking site for forty four billion dollars. You, if you were a, a magnanimous, like graceful person who had some humanity, you could probably go hang out with Stephen King on some level. Instead, he's fucking ignoring you yeah. <laughs> in front of the whole world. Like you know, I don't, I don't like he, Stephen King doesn't even want to. And Stephen King has written, you know, two books about, or he, he directed a movie and he wrote a book about cars that kill people. <laughs> there's a lot to talk about. Oh yeah, there's you know, an easy with, with, dig with, in there. Yeah, you like <laughs> you know, but but you know, I I, I I appreciate that. Furthermore, you know, uh, we were just up in um, Bangor, Maine, doing this uh, big live yeah. event we did up there, and part of this part of this event involved a uh, a tour of the city by uh, SK Tours. Uh, shout out to those guys. They are wonderful. If you ever make it up to Bangor, Maine, absolutely seek them out and take that tour. You will not regret it. Um, but one thing that struck me on this tour, just as much as it did the first time I did it, was how much stuff in Bangor has been paid for by King and mm. and Tabby. Like mm. an entire ass like little league stadium with a a water park a fucking wow you know huge overhaul of their library it's gorgeous you know yeah. and they don't they don't make a big thing of this you know you don't see it before i saw it with my own eyes i had never seen it covered in the press or anything like that he yeah. bought a wing of a fucking hospital and refused to let them name it after him he just wanted to do it like that's yeah. how you that's i don't think i don't think wealth is inherently gross um i know that that's sort of you know, fuck the rich is sort of the attitude these days. And I totally understand it because, yeah. you know, so much of us are, are true. You know, we're scraping by. But like, I don't think wealth is inherently gross as long as you're using your wealth to do good things for other yeah. people, you know, and you can live as comfortably as you want. But if you're also carving out a piece for other people, then like nothing wrong with that. I just want to see more of that from the people that are ultra wealthy, I guess. Yeah, totally. I'm with you. I mean, Scott, I, I'll, I'll give up my third wish. I, I want Scott to have a, a, a billion dollars <laughs> and, and do some good for us all. Don't don't give it to me. I'll, I'll fuck it up. I'll, I'll, I'll like. Fair enough. Yeah, I'll, I'll, well, I'll gamble you, it all I'll, on like one movie that doesn't need to be made. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get that extended cut of the viewing. Uh, on, on Blu-ray, <laughs> all, get you a new motorcycle. This, it's yeah. all the camera st- uh, footage of Steve Agee. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Steve, Steve just as uh, we pay Steve to do voicemails for every man, woman, and child <laughs> in, I, I, in America. I would favor that. Uh, 
Well, is there anything else we want to talk about in relation to word processor of the gods? This 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 got deep, you know. I'm really glad <laughs> yeah, that, that happens on yeah. the show. Yeah, sometimes. Right. The show um, another name for the show could have been thing what we talk about when we talk about Stephen King. You yeah. know, it's like it's it's the backbone, but sometimes it goes off in these directions and you just got to let yep. those conversations go with it. Yeah. Unfold. That, yeah. That's that's what I was talking about the Dark Tower. It's like an expansiveness about everything in life where yeah, you know, like I I I just really like when I say like I'll never achieve anything on the level of King has done, obviously, but also on top of it, it's just uh, I, I think you know he 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 managed to take one human mind and create an entire world, you know, all, all the interconnectedness between all the works that's implied and some of the trippier stuff in the Dark Tower. It's like, yeah, yeah, that, it's just, it's it's just it's mind boggling to me and such an achievement. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, the last thing I would drop is I wanted to like, uh, uh, I found this, there's, there's a introduction to this Harlan Ellison book of short stories. Mm. It was very formative for for me, uh, called stalking the nightmare. And it was this thing where I was a kid growing up near a military base and had no idea how, uh, anybody actually becomes a writer, but I was obsessed with it. You know, like I, I wanted to tell stories. Um, and, and I used to go to this bookstore at a mall chain and one day I walked in there and there was this very angry looking guy with like, I, I'll never forget. He had like a pink pleather, like narrow eighties tie and like a sport jacket and sunglasses. And he was talking to these college kids and he was just cursing them out for being idiots. And they looked really upset. And and it was the first time in my life I'd ever seen a professional writer, like, you know, signing books. Like I think I was 10 or 11 um, and, and I was so excited, you know, I, I just went up, I had no idea who this writer was and I, I, I grabbed one of his paperbacks from the stack and I brought it up to him to sign it. And, and he looked at me and shook his head like, what the fuck are you getting into? Because, <laughs> because this, this collection of stories by Harlan Ellison has got the sci-fi and fantasy stuff, but there's some essays about life. Uh, there, there's an amazing story about how he got fired from Disney after working there for one day for, being in a writer's room and talking about uh, pornographic scenarios with the Disney characters. And it was overheard <laughs> by the executives. Like there's stuff like that in the book. And, and he's like, Oh shit, you know, I'm about to ruin this 10 year old's life. But you know, <laughs> he, he signed it and he gave it to me. And then I, you know, I got picked up by, by, by my dad. And I, I remember like opening the book and there's an introduction by Stephen King. I knew who Stephen King was. And I, I found the introduction, you know, it's just a few pages, but it's this really great little piece of writing where he talks about Harlan being such a gifted writer and friend. Um, but, but King also talks about how when you're starting to write, um, he, he uses this metaphor, you know, you're, you're the carton of milk in the fridge and you're taking the flavor of the things you read. And, and when you come across a voice like Harlan is really a hard to avoid. It's like, uh, here's a direct quote from it, you know, how do I know that this has happened? I know because I've been writing hard for about 25 years now, which means uh, that I have been I'm reading hard. The two go together. I'm always chilled and astonished by would-be writers who ask me for advice and admit quite blithely they don't have time to read. This is like a guy starting up Mount Everest saying he didn't have time to buy any rope. And part of the dues <laughs> you pay while, while you're doing this hard reading, particularly if you start your period of hard writing as a teenager, as most of us did, God knows there are exceptions but not many, is that you find yourself writing like whoever you're reading that week. If you're reading Red Nails, your current short story sounds like that old Hyborian cowboy Robert E. Howard. If you've been reading Farewell, My Lovely, your stuff sounds like Raymond Chandler. Your milk and your taste like whatever was next to you in the refrigerator that week. 
Um, and, and so there's like this, you know, if you, if you can find this, there's this great essay where, where Stephen King is talking about how, yeah, you know, like it, it was me 10 years old reading about imposter syndrome and, and, and actually reconciling, okay, if I do this, I'm going to be copying people, but you, and, and he goes on in the essay to talk about how you develop your own voice. Uh, and how much that needs to be fed by life experience. And it's what you were saying earlier, both of you about, you know, like uh, the, the struggle to make things leads to, yeah, the unintended consequences are these struggles in life lead to insight and empathy yeah. and, 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 and caring for humanity. And I also think it's the foundation of any writer. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not one for uh, screenwriting advice on Twitter. <laughs> that, that, that stuff always like, I always look at it. I'm just like, well, how do you know this? Like this, so much of this job is about not like being aware that nobody knows jack shit. Mm. Um, but you know, like th- th- this, like take it from Stephen King. And I just highly recommend more than word processors or the gods, the memoir on writing. You'll, you'll also mm. learn just some great tips on how to write and writing style. Uh, and, and some of these other works he's written uh, being very open about the life of a writer and the struggles of one. There's some really cool stuff. Yeah, agreed. That's a great one. It's a great For title. Sure. Well, Aaron, uh, where can people find you? And uh, can you tease <sighs> anything that you are working on? Or uh, I can't. You know? uh, like lawyers from a mega corporation will have me assassinated. Like sure. uh, I'm working on some stuff I can't talk about. Sadly, uh, may- maybe in 2025. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to talk about it openly. Uh, um, Avatar Six. Gotcha. i i I wish i would love to work with with james cameron (laughs) i don't know how much you would love to work with james cameron (laughs) no i would i would i would i totally would i'd love to watch james cameron (laughs) yeah exactly and one of my favorite james cameron things ever is the 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 making of the abyss it's called under pressure uh, mm. The montage of him uh, yelling at people and insulting them underwater in his scuba helmet. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like, and you, and you can hear like the, 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 the rebreather in his helmet. It's like, and he's like, why are you standing on the edge of the boat? Get off the fucking submarine. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> but you know, he's, he's vegan now. He's like chilled out. Like, all. <laughs> oh yeah. The notoriously chill vegans. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And I, I love that he wears like motocross jerseys, vintage motocross jerseys. I know that much about motorcycling, but in the motorcycling community, we're all like, why is James Cameron wearing a 1998 Fox racing Jersey when he's a multimillionaire, you know, promoting avatar. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm working on some big things that may or may not happen. We'll see. Roll mm-hmm. the dice. It, it, it's very much a gambling life out here as life of a screenwriter. Uh, it, it, you know, if anybody hasn't seen it yet, I just recommend the viewing. Yes. Um, and in fact, I will say this uh, in January, if you are in New York City, um, I can't remember the exact date, but you can find out the Museum of, of Modern Art is doing a giant retrospective of Guillermo del Toro's entire career. And I, I think you should go see anything that Guillermo's made. I really, really cannot. I mean, he's, he's a fundamental person, um, oh, yeah. but, but I feel devil's backbone and crimson peak and nightmare alley are underappreciated. You should see them in a the theater if you never have, no. um, but they're going to show the viewing on the big screen. So, oh, wow. wow. And, and and we're trying to get together. Some of us who are involved with it to be there. So there's that. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter, but not really. I, I'm weighing my options, you know. Like, like I, I come by to 
check my mail at my apartment that I'm leaving once in a while. <laughs> um, but, but, but it's, it's grim there and, and I don't want to be part of uh, a machine that's uh, amplifying some really horrible things. So, so, you know, you just, if you Google me, you'll find me somewhere. Well, Very well. we're all sort of relocating and, and we'll all find each other and reunite somewhere someday. Yeah. We're going to have to go back to email like our ancestors, <laughs> with our oh, forefathers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was an absolute delight and uh, we'd you. love to get you back sometime. This was awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. You, you, like you've asked me in the past and I was always too busy and I also felt that uh, I didn't have enough work to show for it, but I, I really enjoyed this and, Finally got to meet you, Eric. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Oh, it was, our pleasure. It was our pleasure. Many thanks to Aaron Stewart on for joining us. Scott, that must have been uh, something that you were super excited about. I know how much you love Mandy. So, Oh, I fucking love Mandy. Yeah. Um, and, and I love Aaron. Like uh, he yeah. and I have uh, been following each other for years and uh, been trying to get him on the show for a while. He's been very busy. He's writing like a bazillion things at any given time. We finally found a space, and uh, I'm very excited about that. And possibly he might uh, be able to help us get a Panos Cosmatos on the show, which Ooh. would be I would lose my fucking shit if mm. if we can make that connection. So um, what if Panos comes on us. the show and he just hates you like it, it becomes the most contentious eh, show we've ever have, done? Eh, it's happened before. It's fine. <laughs> I'm used to that. Like, <laughs> you know, I have a, I have a strong personality. Uh, uh, some people do not respond well to it. Um, it would be embarrassing. Uh, I don't think Bill Hader was very appreciative of my hijinks or uh, interruptiveness. Uh, but, uh, you know, it happens. What can you do? You can't be loved by everyone. That's fine. I just want to tell that guy how uh, amazing that movie was, just like I did with uh, with Aaron. Yeah. And I want to have Aaron back too. I I loved having him on the show. Yeah, he was a really good guest, and uh, I think this is a a super interesting episode. Yeah, we we've done a, a little gauntlet of recordings so far, and we have a bunch of recordings lined up. We're we're kicking off January right this year. <laughs> busy, 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 and uh, there's a few episodes in the in the tank that we have that are kind of like what we just did with Aaron, where. You know, we're getting a little bit more into the weeds on on King's writing in the short story form, and uh, I'm I'm liking it. It's it's a nice. Uh, uh, not saying that there's no chaotic energy. There's you know that's what we Plenty do. Of that. Plenty of that, but uh, it's it's an interesting run that I, I've I've just noticed that uh, of recent we've been hitting kind of hitting it out of the park. Not us, but our guests have been just bringing quality examinations of King's work, which uh, that's true. And I like this whole short story angle that we've kind of been on for a minute. I swear to Christ, if I have to do another episode on Pet Cemetery or The Shining, mm. and it's not, and it's like, like if we do that again, it, like I'm demanding that it's uh, a guest of a certain caliber who will bring a unique angle to the table because I right. think we've we've sort of covered those those titles, and there's so much Stephen King shit uh, left to talk about. Right. And well, so the, yeah. the short stories are, are really great for that. And they're also an easy buy in for the guests because it's like, hey, can you read 20 pages? Great. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Well, you might be done talking about Pet Cemetery, but you going to be talking about some Pet Cemetery too next week. How's That's that a for a segue, story, baby? How's that That's for a, a different segue? story? Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Our next week uh, episode is going to be all about the extremely bizarre 
sequel to Pet Cemetery, Pet Cemetery 2. And our guest is a director. Is she how oh, how do how do I tease tease her? She has a movie coming out, so it's perfect timing. Yes. Um never been on the show before. Never been Someone on the show we've before. Been wanting to get on the show. Uh and I just managed to do <laughs> do that via Twitter last night. Yeah. Shot my shot and it worked. Yeah. Um if well, you fu- yeah, if you've been closely monitoring my Twitter feed, you may know who this guest is. Yeah, there but... won't be a surprise there. Yeah. I've actually known this guest for years and years and years. I think we go back God, almost 15 years. Um, uh, I've watched movies with her in Cannes. So it's, uh, you know, it's somebody who knows their shit. I'm excited for to hear her talk about this, uh, this particular topic, because Pet Cemetery 2 is is an odd bird. And it is a little bit King adjacent since King hadn't fuck all to do with the writing uh, of this. I think he was pretty happy to let pet cemetery be a standalone thing. Uh, but Hollywood going to do what Hollywood going to do. And they decided to make a pet cemetery too. And it, that movie is fucking insane. Oh, so yeah, it is. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be something that, uh, uh, is ripe for a fun conversation and that, that will be, uh, what's on the docket for next week. Do you want to tell the good people what to expect on the Patreon this Friday? Yeah. Uh, Let's see. We've uh, we brought in a writer by the name of BJ Colangelo. Well, here, let me tell you what we did. Mm. We went back to BJ Colangelo, who's appeared on the show before, mm-hmm. and uh, we wanted to have her back as a guest and and wanted to, you know, see if she had any further ideas for bonus episodes. And she said, uh, yeah, actually, I'd like to come on and discuss why Carrie White is never fat in the various carry adaptations right. that have occurred. Um, and we said yes, immediately. Uh, that is an angle we have not covered on the show before at length. And um, she came in and uh, just annihilated this uh, guest appearance. It's a really interesting conversation. I think we kind of come at it from several different angles and, uh, you know, um arrive at some interesting conclusions. Mm. So it, you'll be able to get that on the Patreon this Friday. Um, if you're not already sub, a subscriber, that's uh, patreon.com backslash the King cast. Come over there. You're going to get dozens upon dozens, if not well over a hundred uh, episodes to explore. If you haven't already uh, no. with, you know, interviews and commentaries and all, all kinds of shit. Um, again, that's patreon.com backslash the King cast. Uh, come over there and, and drop by for a month. If you don't like it, you can leave. That's fine. But I think that if you come sign up and see what we're doing over there, you'll realize you're, you've only been listening to half the show. And, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of really cool shit to dive into over there. It's real nitty gritty, uh, King stuff. Hell yeah. And you'll also get access to our brand new shiny discord server where, you can interact with the other patrons and, and uh, your humble hosts from time to time and uh, have access to things that we were doing exclusively over there that will be, I don't know. It, it's, yeah. It's not going to be recorded for posterity. So we might have some, some fun goings on over at the discord in the coming weeks. And yeah, so that ra- kind of wraps up what we have in the, in the pipeline for you guys. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. So, yeah. Make sure to, Make sure to check out the main feed next week as we discuss Pet Cemetery 2. And uh, this Friday, where the hell is, is Fat Carrie uh, with BJ Colangelo on our Patreon? Indeed. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. 
The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Andley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director. And editing is done by yours truly. Thank you.